Awesome morning of continued worship and ministry this morning. We have a, a very special guest with us this morning. Uh, we're shooting a, a TV show, new series called Pastor Swap. We've got Brett Walters from Homewood uh, Church of Christ in Birmingham, Alabama, which is actually where Adam is this morning. So you can see it here live first on AGC. But we've got Brett Walters here for the message, and let's all give him a, a warm welcome. Wow. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, so good to be here this morning. Uh, what a joy. What a joy. Uh, if you're a guest here, uh, you are in good hands because I am a guest as well, and so we can guess this thing together. Uh, but I am so excited to be here this morning. I, um, I, I'm here with my family and so grateful to have them, and you'll see uh, maybe a picture of them on the screen here. Yeah, there they are. Uh, so this is my, my wife, Lainey, uh, and then my two children, uh, Grady and Sadie. Grady is our little warrior, and... Uh, Sadie is our little princess, and so uh, they, are, they are the joys of our life. Uh, they, they bring us a lot of, of happiness, but uh, so grateful that they could be here with me. Also got my parents, uh, who drove all the way from Laverne, Tennessee, uh, to be here this morning. So uh, uh, grateful to have them uh, with us today as well. Uh, I think Philip met my dad first this morning, and, and he thought he was the one that was going to be preaching. And he said, well, you know, I hope you had a good trip you know, from all the He said, well, I came all the way from Laverne, so I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, and then I also met some folks that uh, know some of our members at Homewood. So, uh, so just what a, what a joy to be here today. Uh, I absolutely love your preacher, uh, Adam, and I'm so grateful to know him. Uh, I get to work with your preacher 30 years from now because I work with Adam's dad, and uh, he is uh, a minister on staff with me, and, and so uh, I count it one of, one of my great joys in life to work with Rick Caulfold, Adam's dad, uh, so that, that is a, an awesome privilege that I have. Uh, also, um, I have, I've just been thinking all week about what a joy it, it is for for Adam and I to do this, um, this as, as you say, the pastor swap, uh, it, it, is, it is really a joy that, that we were both birthed out of the same uh, movement, the restoration movement, and uh, so much joy comes out of knowing that, and, and it was a unity movement. And so I pray today that uh, our unity is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And so I'm very grateful for that. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be opening to Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1 will be there in just a moment. Uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, but we did not get a white Christmas this year. Uh, matter of fact, you could say we got a wet Christmas. You could say we had a warm Christmas, uh, but you can't say that we had uh, a white Christmas. And uh, that's really what I want to talk to us uh, a little bit about today. I was reflecting on that song, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, written by Irving Berlin, uh, made popular by Bing Crosby. I don't know if you know this or not, but that song, I'm Dreaming of a, a White Christmas by Bing Crosby, uh, was the best-selling single of all time, according to Guinness Book of World Records. It sold over 100 million copies. So it wasn't uh, Justin Bieber, it wasn't Taylor Swift, uh, it wasn't even Elvis Presley who had the number one best-selling single of all time. It was Bing Crosby's I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. And uh, my wife and I got to be up in New York City a few weeks ago, got to actually see where Irving Berlin grew up and uh, wrote that song uh, so many years ago. 
Uh, but I, I want to ask us this morning, uh, even though we didn't have a white Christmas on Christmas Day, uh, we still have a few days before the end of the year. And uh, I want to suggest to you that as we look into God's Word, that is it possible uh, that we could still experience a white Christmas on the inside? Uh, yeah, it would be cool if we had some, some white to go on the ground and in our front yards and all that kind of stuff. But what does it look like, according to the Word of God, for us to experience a white Christmas on the inside? And that's just what I want us to, to think about for a few moments today. So we're going to use an Old Testament verse that I believe is further revealed in the New Testament. It's going to help us understand what I mean by not just dreaming of a white Christmas, but actually experiencing it. And so uh, today's topic, I believe, hits 100% of us. Like sometimes I preach and I think, well, maybe this will hit you know, a few people. I believe what we're going to talk about today hits 100% of us, everybody in the room. Uh, so we jump over to Isaiah chapter 1, and we're going to be looking in verse 18, where the Word of God says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. And, and I want to just pause right there. Uh, because this is one of the phrases that has captured me uh, in my studies this year, probably more so than any other phrase that I've found in Scripture. Come now, let us settle the matter. Um, I grew up here in, in, uh, right across town in L.A., uh, Lower Antioch, and uh, that, that, that's where I'm from. And, and so uh, I, I, know, I know the lingo around here a little bit. Uh, so whereas, as the word says, come, let us settle the matter. This is what we, where I grew up, this is what we would say, you know, come on y'all, let's take care of this. You know, that's, that's kind of what we would say. Come now, let us settle the matter and let us not go another year with our hearts in the condition that they're in. Let's settle this, says the Lord. And then he gives you a picture of, of what settling it might look like. He said, though your sins are like scarlet. And I want to suggest to you that, that sins are, are not just wrongdoings that you commit, but sometimes they're wrongdoings that are committed against you. You can be sinned against. Yes, you can sin and commit sins, but you can also be sinned against. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God says in His Word, God can give you the white Christmas. Your sins shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And then this uh, verse is not on the screen, but verse 19, the verse right after it says, If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. And, and that phrase, willing and obedient, oftentimes, you know, we look at that, that phrase, uh, obedience, and we think that it's, it's something that, man, I, I just, I don't feel like doing, but oftentimes obedience is a choice that you and I make, right? I mean, it's a, it's a choice that you and I make. And, and oftentimes I found that, uh, that I don't always feel like doing the right thing. Anybody with me on that? I, I, I just don't feel like doing the right thing. But here's what I found is that if I will allow my obedience to lead, then oftentimes my feelings will catch up with me right? Uh, some of us this morning may have not even wanted to be here, right? 
Uh, I, I, I was excited to be here, but can I confess to you that there are, as a preacher, there are days that I get up Sunday mornings, I get up and I just, I just don't want to be there. I mean, you've experienced this in your own jobs, right? In your own work. I mean, there's just there's days you don't want to go to work. You maybe you don't feel good. Maybe you got the crud. Maybe you know something, but you just don't feel. But I found if if I will if I will obediently do the right thing, that oftentimes God will will bless and allow my feelings to catch up. And, and so I don't think that most of us have more problems during the holiday season. Uh, I think that. During the holiday season, our problems and our pain tends to be highlighted, though. And that's why, you know, you read these studies about more folks commit suicide between Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas than, than any other month of the year combined. And, and then I've read some studies that say, well, that's not exactly true. And so whether that's true or not, I think, I think the, the, the point is, is that, that this holiday season tends to sometimes highlight some things for us. And so today's sermon, today's message if you will, is really just going to be one point. One point. And we're going to get, get, get to that in just a minute, but uh, I was talking to my friend uh, Randy Harris uh, a few months ago, and I asked Randy, some of you maybe have heard of Randy before, but um, Randy, uh, I asked him, how, how many points should a good message, should a good sermon have? And uh, he said, well, let's, let's start with one. Because um, I've heard a lot of sermons that don't have one good point, so so you know let's let's have one good point, you know, and then let's go from there, okay? And, and so this is that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to have we're going to have one point, and uh, and then we're going to have some some things to support that as well. So I'm going to suggest this one practice, one truth today, that will have some supporting ideas to go with it. But let me set it up this way. Uh, I believe that all of us, and this is where I said uh, this message hits hundred percent of us. I believe that all of us get offended from time to time. Can I get an, can I get an oh yeah on that? All right. All of us go through offenses. Matter of fact, we could probably go around the room right now and, and share stories about ways that you have been offended in your life, and, and probably not just your lifetime. I bet we could all share a story that happened in 2015, this year, of an offense. That occurred in our own lives. Let's go to the New Testament. I, I want to just paint a picture with a few words from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 10, Jesus is talking about the last days. And he says that at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And the New King James Version says that, that at that time, many will be offended. Many will be offended. And that word offended is the Greek word scandalon. It's where we get the word scandal. And so literally what that word means is, is that there is, there is a, a trap that is going on, a scandal that's going on inside of our heart. It's almost like you know, we're baited in by something. Maybe it's an argument or maybe it's something we're baited in. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we experience this, this trap inside of us. And, and it could be... Uh, it could be innocently. We, we didn't, you know, it's not something that we did, or maybe it is something that, that we did do, and, and all of a sudden we were trapped, and this scandal produces that inside of us, and that's very important for us to understand as we, as we journey forward today. Uh, a few pages later in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, where it says this, Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. 
And it goes on, on to say that, that, but woe to him through whom they do come. That you cannot get away from experiencing you know, these offenses that are going to take place in life. And then this, this verse that really caught me in, in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 19. A brother offended is more unyielding, hang on to that word in your mind, unyielding, than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. One translation says that a, a brother is offended is more unyielding than a fortified city. You've heard of a fortified city. That it's, it's literally where there, there are these walls that are built around the city in order to guard and protect the, the, the city. And the, the one who, who wrote Proverbs says that this, this is what happens in, in the midst of, of an offense. But, but here's the challenge, and here's the problem. Is that oftentimes that when we build walls around our heart to keep the bad people out, it doesn't just keep the bad people out. Because, because walls are not discretionary, right? And so what ends up happening is as these walls go up, because of the offense that has occurred in our own life. And these walls go up, and it's, it's not just the bad people that are kept out. It's, it's also the good people. And sometimes it's even God that we keep out in our lives. Because that fortified city has been built around our hearts. So, all that to say that a walled-up life, an offended life is no way to live. And that's what I want to suggest today. And I want us to just think about, in our minds, just think about some, some offenses that have, have come our way, maybe this year, maybe over the course of the past few years. I don't know how long you want to go back, but, but think about some of the ways that you've been offended. And some of these are going to be on the screen. And I want to encourage you, if you want to just write these down, uh, you can do that. Or if you are a good mental note taker, then just take some mental notes uh, about these. And I, I just want to see if you resonate with any of these. The first one is this. Wouldn't you agree that we all feel offended when we get betrayed? I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have been betrayed before? It's a very offensive thing to be betrayed. Before I got into a vocational ministry uh, full-time uh, five years ago, I was in the corporate world for about 10 years. Uh, so I know what it's like. Uh, I know what it's like to, to travel. I used to travel over 100 nights a year. So I know what that's like to live out of a hotel. Uh, I know what it's like to, to sit in a cubicle for uh, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. I, I know what that's like. Uh, I know what it's like to, to have to do expense reports and, and budgets and all that kind of stuff. I know what all that's like. But I remember specifically one afternoon being given permission to go and, and, and look up something on someone else's computer. And when I went to go and look that up on their computer, there was an, an email that was, was already up and it had my name in it. And, and I read it and it was from somebody else talking about me and I, I felt very betrayed felt very betrayed in that moment. Maybe, maybe you have been offended in, the, in that same way where you felt betrayed. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a good friend. But you just feel betrayed. How, how about this one? We get offended when we are falsely accused. We get offended when we are falsely 
accused. Now, this is the one that probably crawls under my skin more than any of the ones I'm going to mention today. Because uh, what happens is we say something and, and people do not know our motives. They don't know our hearts. They don't know uh, where we're coming from. And, and all of a sudden, they start saying things that aren't true and we get falsely accused. And that one just eats me alive. Number three is this, is that we get, conf we get offended when we get rejected. Like people just shun us and, and, and we just get rejected. I did a, a Facebook poll a few weeks ago, and uh, I just asked everybody that was on my Facebook feed, asked them to share with me what is your most difficult forgiveness situation that's ever occurred in your life. I mean, what, what is the most difficult forgiveness situation that has ever happened to you? I got several responses. They all came to me privately in a private message. I got several responses. I was not prepared for what I received. I was not prepared. Do you know what the number one response was from folks who have felt rejected or, or have experienced a difficult forgiveness situations? Number one response was being hurt by people in the church. Number one response. And it was, it was by far the number one. I'll share with you at number two in just a minute, but, but here's, what I've, here's what I've learned, is that the potential for rejection is higher. The potential for rejection is higher whenever your expectations are also high. So I've heard people say that, that have been rejected or been offended in the church, that they've said, well, well, the world wouldn't even treat you like that. Well, I... I beg to differ with that because, because here's the deal. I, I, when, I, when something happens to me in the world, I really don't, I really don't uh, have that great of an expectation of the world anyway. So this may happen to me in the world, and my expectation of the world is down here, and so I just kind of shove it off and move on. But if this happens to me and my expectation is up here, which oftentimes people in the church, we, we hold to expectations. We, we, we sometimes hold preachers and, and elders to, to unrealistic expectations, right? So, so um, just give you an example. I, I had somebody that expected me. Uh, I, I, pre I get the privilege of preaching to about 500 people every week. And, and I had somebody expect me that while I'm preaching my message to also do a roll call. And be able to know if all 500 people were there or not. And so when they missed, they were offended that I did not know that they were not sitting uh, in, in their seat. And I did not call them that. And so the expectations that we place on people sometimes are just so unrealistic. But when the expectation is here, oftentimes there's a greater potential for rejection. Would you agree with that? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't hold folks accountable. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have expectations of people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just acknowledging that there may be this expectation play into the role of being offended. So number four is this. Here's another one that I found. Have you ever been abused? Maybe verbally abused. Maybe emotionally abused sexually or physically abused. Abuse is a serious, serious offense. And oftentimes when we experience those things, oft oftentimes we, we feel 
obviously very offended. The fifth one and the final one that I'll mention is that we're offended whenever we are humiliated. Have you ever been embarrassed? Has somebody ever humiliated you? And it just, it just gets all over you, and, and you just feel it. You feel it. I, I get the privilege of doing uh, premarital counsel, counseling with couples uh, on a regular basis. Matter of fact, I've got three or four couples going right now. And, and one of the things that I al- always tell them is that there, there's no place in the marriage covenant for humiliating your spouse. There's just no place for that because you, you see it all the time. Sometimes it's done in jest, you know, or you know, you're going to be sleeping on the couch tonight, <laughs> you know, and, and some of those things. But, but I tell couples, hey, public humiliation, is, is there's no place for that in the marriage covenant. And so oftentimes we feel offended when we're humiliated. Now, there's, there's a reason why I gave you this list. I want you to know that this list is not random. Matter of fact, this list is very, very intentional. Because this is the list, if you go back and, and read Scripture, this is the exact order that Jesus Christ experienced these offenses on His way to the cross. He was betrayed by an ally one of his disciples, Judas, for 30 pieces of silver. He was handed over. He was falsely accused. He was put on trial and falsely accused. He knows what that's like. He was rejected by one of his closest friends, Peter. Peter couldn't even tell a young girl that he knew Jesus. He denied him three times. Jesus was abused. His wrists were nailed to wood. His feet were nailed to wood. His back was beat to a pulp. I don't need to rehearse everything that Jesus went through in terms of abuse. You've seen the movies. He was humiliated when he was put up on that cross. Historians say that he was either mostly naked or completely naked, hanging on the cross. And the Bible says that Jesus went through all of these things so that he could be the one who interceded on our behalf. That he knows what it's like to go through each of these offenses. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement, at one that's, that's this, this being at one, you can just break that word down, at one with God. He was making atonement for the sins of people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being 
tempted. And everything that ran through your mind as we were going through that list, you have very personal situations, I'm sure, that you thought of as we went through that list. And every one of those, everything that you've, you rehearsed in your own brain and in your own heart, Jesus has been through. And so when we come to Jesus, when we come to Christ, Jesus says, oh yes, I remember what that was like. I've been there. Too often I, I got the t-shirt on that one. And here's kind of the, the transition voice, verse as we get to the, that one point that I'm going to leave with you today, that, that kind of that one point sermon. It's not so much how that we are going to go through the offenses, I think what Jesus begins to teach us is how are we going to respond when we go through those offenses. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And in other words, Christ did something in the midst of all the suffering, in the midst of all the offenses. Christ did something that, that I need to identify with, that I need to, to transform my thinking, that, that I need to, to parallel my thinking with the way that, that, that Christ thought. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. And by His grace and through His Holy Spirit, we are able to identify with this way of thinking. And how did Christ think? Well, you find the answer in Luke chapter 23. He hung there on the cross, verse 34, and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Now, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew that they were nailing a man's hands to wood. They knew that they were nailing a man's feet to wood. But Christ chose. He made the choice to see them differently. And the one truth that I want to leave you with today is that, that offenses, they will come. So, so when, when that person is, is honking at you, I've, I've driven around your town quite a bit. <laughs> When that person is, is honking at you to get out of the way, and they're, they're giving you all kinds of season greetings, <laughs> you know, you've experienced it. You can choose to see that person as a jerk. Or you can choose to think that, you know, maybe that's a parent who just found out that their child has been injured and on the way to the hospital and they're going trying frantically to get to the hospital to visit their child. Now more than likely that second one's not true. All right? But here's the deal. Here's the point, church. For you to think that that person is a jerk does your heart no good. Amen? Does your heart no good. And so, so we see this example. Therein lies the truth that Jesus gives us when he's offended. I came across this prayer. I don't know who wrote it. It was kind of an anonymous written thing. But I came across this prayer. It's just simply called a different kind of prayer. 
and I, I've pulled it out over the years, uh, just uh, every now and then when I need to be reminded of, of this. And, and so it goes like this. Heavenly Father, help us remember that the jerk who cut us off in traffic last night is a single mother who worked nine hours that day and was rushing home to cook dinner, help with homework, do the laundry, and spend a few precious moments with her children. Help us to remember that the pierced, tattooed, disinterested young man who can't make change correctly is a worried 19-year-old college student, balancing his apprehension over final exams with his fear of not getting his student loans for next semester. Remind us, Lord, that the scary-looking bum begging for money in the same spot every day who really ought to get a job is a slave to addictions that we can only imagine in our worst nightmares. Help us to remember that the old couple walking annoyingly slow through the store aisles and blocking our shopping progress are savoring the moment, knowing that based on the biopsy report she got back last week, this will be the last year that they go shopping together. Heavenly Father, remind us each day that of all the gifts you give us, the greatest gift is love. It's not enough to share that love with those we hold dear. Open our hearts, not just to those who are close to us, but to all humanity. Help us to see people the way you do. Not a problem to avoid, but a person to be loved. And all that to say that if, if you and I really want to experience a white Christmas, then you're going to have to do something that you don't feel like doing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And for some of us, we've been carrying around burdens and offenses for a year or five years or maybe even 30 years. I see this in ministry all the time. And it just, it just weighs on us because we've put up that fortified city for so long. It's just become commonplace. And the word of the Lord says, come, let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. But not the snow-covered lawn but of the purity of my heart. And so that's, that's the one point, church, that I'm going to choose, even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to choose to see people the way that Jesus saw people. And so how do I do that? Well, I'm going to just offer three suggestions to you. If you want to jot these down, you can reflect on these a little bit this week. Number one is that we need to remember that I need forgiveness too. Let me say it this way, that, that you will never have to forgive people more than what God had to forgive you. Amen. <laughs> and so Romans 3 and 23 says, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us have sinned. And oftentimes in my own life, I need to remember that I need Forgiveness too. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, freely you have received, now freely give. The second one is this, is that we need to refocus on the real enemy. 
The word of the Lord says uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. I don't know about you, but often I'm sure this is a perfect church, but I don't go to a perfect church. <laughs> but, but oftentimes in church, especially, we, we tend to set up our firing lines in circles, right? You ever notice that? We just fire at one another sometimes. But the real enemy is sitting back with a big grin on his face because we're not even acknowledging his existence. The word says that the devil prowls around you like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes we just need to refocus on the real enemy. We need to take, take the hurt and the pain and, and recognize that, that that is the enemy's doing. And ever since the fall, we have been succumbing to his temptations. And then the last thing that we need to do, and this is a response to the second greatest response that I got on my Facebook poll when I asked folks what was your most difficult forgiveness situation. Number one was being hurt by folks in the church. Do you know what the second greatest response that I got on my Facebook poll? Several, several of these came in. It was folks having difficulty forgiving themselves. I got a response uh, from a young lady who had gone through an abortion several years ago. And she, she just could not come to grips with forgiving herself. I got other responses about hurt that had taken place and, and things that people had done in their past. And, and you can call it the, the ghost of Christmas past or whatever you want to call it. But most often we have difficulty forgiving me, forgiving ourselves. So jot this down. And some of you need to hear this word this morning, I believe, that we need to receive God's love. We need to be reminded of that. And, and the word of God says it much better than I, I can. So in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, it says we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Receiving love, church. It gives us the capacity to love. So that's, the, that's the, one, the one point along with a few ways to go about that, I believe, from the Word of God. Now as we enter into a, a time of communion, I can't think of a, a better way for us to reflect on the body and, and the blood of Jesus Christ than, than remembering what he went through, but also remembering that it didn't end there. Remember that, that he gave us an example of a way of thinking, but that he also defeated death and rose again so that we can place our power in the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave. And that's where our trust and that's where our hope lies. So I'm going to say a prayer here in just a moment. Uh, there's going to be a few shepherds in the back. If 
if you want to go and, and say a word of prayer or have them pray over you, I know they'll be more than happy to receive you. That's, that's what they do. And then also during this time, uh, you're going to have an opportunity to go to the back of the room and uh, partake communion uh, as we just spend some time worshiping together. Will you bow your hearts and your heads with me? Father God, we thank you for uh, the message of your word this morning. Uh, God, we're grateful that, that you have met us here. Uh, we just say, Jesus, forgive us because we've offended you and we're sorry for our sin. And today, I, God, we just receive uh, what you did on the cross when you died for us. And we just want to surrender our lives to your control and give you our lives today. And God, we're not, we know that we may not feel it, uh, but we're asking that you will empower us to choose it. That we will open our hands and we will recognize that, that even though others have betrayed us or falsely accused us or, or rejected us or abused us and humiliated us, that today we adopt your thinking, God, that we forgive and that we see people through your eyes. That we continue to live our lives in you, rooted and built up in you, strengthened in the faith and overflowing with thankfulness. God, I'm grateful for every person in this room. I'm grateful for what they mean to your kingdom. I pray for the person who thinks that they needed this message the most. And I pray for the person who thinks they needed it the least. I pray we will hide the words you spoke to us in our hearts from Isaiah. Come, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Thankful for your grace. You're so good to us, God. Now as we get an opportunity to take the bread and the cup and remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I pray that we will do so with open hearts to receive who you are in our lives once again. Thank you for that wonderful opportunity. It's in Jesus I pray. Amen.